You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about creating a repeatable sales process, the importance of getting it right, and when it makes sense to outsource this and potentially even outsource your CRO. To help us, we have with us Dan Morris, managing partner of MindRacer Consulting, a modern VP of sales and CRO as a service firm. Dan, thank you for taking the time and welcome to the show. Hey, Chad. It's really great to be here. Thanks very much for having me. Excited to be having this conversation with you today. Excellent. So we always like to start out with kind of an off-the-wall question just so our audience gets a chance to know you a little bit better. And always curious to learn something you're passionate about that those who only know you from a work environment might be surprised to learn. Sure. All right. Um, I learned to drive when I was six years old, (laughs) and I have a really massive passion for cars. So, you know, despite living in Manhattan, which is not a great place to have that passion, I actually (laughs) learned to drive so early. So I've always had this interest and, um, yeah, very, very deeply passionate about those sorts of things to a sort of ridiculously geeky level. (laughs) (laughs) Particular types of cars or just all cars in general? Um, I like the analog cars, the ones where the driver was really playing a massive role in the uh, the performance of the vehicle. Uh, favorite cars, probably BMW M cars between the 1980s and 2000s. Okay. But I think if there was a no-holds-barred, you could do anything. I think we have now reached peak car, you know, with the phasing out of the gasoline engine right. over the next couple of years. Koenigsegg, Swedish manufacturer, has released a car that I think is peak car. And so that's called the Gamera, and it is just an absolutely ridiculous piece of equipment. And uh, <laughs> happy to geek about that with anybody who's interested. Awesome. <laughs> I will definitely check that out. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that, giving us that insight. So topic of the day, let's let's start with, I always kind of like to go macro to micro. And so, you know, everybody thinks they understand what a sales process is or what it what it is for. I'm curious to know, you know, if you if you think about it, why is it so critical for a business to get it right? Why is it critical for them to have it and then make sure that they have the right one? It's really interesting, you know, you say that you think everybody understands what a sales process is and, and what it's for. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure that's completely accurate. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> uh, you know, like people make a lot of assumptions about what a sales process is and that's where there are so many problems and you know they're a, a great salesperson selling a product that fits the market really well is going to make it look easy they're going to be making a lot of money and there's going to be a lot of stories around that but the real hard work and the real hard grind in the early stage of a business which is where we do most of our work is working out who that sales process is actually for you know, like the ideal person for that particular product or service may not be who initially they built it for, <laughs> um, depending how much research they've done and how many times they've had conversations with people rather than just selling to their friends to start with. And so, you know, the goal of a repeatable sales process for, that we focus on is helping founding teams be able to effectively onboard salespeople and give them a fighting chance of getting up to speed in time 
to be effective for the company from a return on investment perspective and be effective for their career in terms of helping them actually make money and move toward their personal goals. And those those two things are hard work. (laughs) (laughs) And so once you've got those parts right, it's really then dialing in the marketing investments to support the sales process improving forecasting so that you actually know hey if we do this we should win this number of clients and that means we're going to need this number of people in customer success to look after them we're going to need to do x number of things because of that's what our business does and also keeping the board and the investors informed and aligned with what you're doing on a day-to-day basis <laughs> you know if you don't have something that you can talk about that is a systematic step by step it's harder to keep people aligned with where you're spending your time and where you're spending their money. So there are some of the things that's the, the goal for us of helping develop an effective sales process is checking those boxes. Well, and everybody, you know, everybody on the board definitely wants to know where their money is going. And so having something yeah. where you can point and say, hey, here's the progress is huge. The challenge with some companies that I've, I've worked with in the past, I've seen them really consider their sales process a differentiator. Maybe it's a, a differentiator in the way that they choose to do business or the way that they view the customer journey. And and I'm curious, how do you give a consistent process or, or approach, a sales process that's going to work for the organization and still give them room to, I don't know, put in there, you know, that special little something that, that they consider a differentiator? Have you run into that before and, and how have you addressed it? <laughs> Uh, so let so let me be clear. We do most of our business with B two B companies that are between two hundred and fifty thousand annual revenue and about twenty million annual revenue. And so in that world, there is a lot of creation required to get to a repeatable sales process. And then there's this moment where it starts going well, and <laughs> that the team wants to change it. Because the you know we've we started doing well and now let's go and sell to a completely new industry because that would be a great thing to bolt on, wouldn't it? And so you know there's always room for the uniqueness. There has to be, right? What's going to set that business apart? The way that they deliver, the value that their service or product brings, and the ability of everybody to communicate that uniqueness consistently is what that sales process needs to do. So wrapping the sales process around their ability to communicate that uniqueness is the key. And then trying to keep that train on the same rails heading in the same direction is the next piece. And so you, know, you, you sort of asked how we do that. We've got a, a checklist of sales and marketing assets that we look at just to make sure, first of all, that they actually exist. <laughs> and then to see, hey, look, you know, if they exist, have they just been drafted or have they been released? Do people know where they are? Have they been refined for each ideal customer that they're going for? Hopefully not too many of those. And then is the team actually fluent in using those tools? And that's really how we look at it. We've got to check this. Does it exist? Does it have a heartbeat? Has it been rolled out? Do people know know where it lives? And are they actually fluent in using it? And that lets us be really objective because any VPs of sales revenue leaders listening to this, you know, if you're not doing that to make sure that things are actually making it into people's hands and being used regularly, there's huge value in making that part of your checklist. And, you know, the more often things are changing, the more often you have to check. 
And you know, if you're more mature, obviously it's part of a more robust onboarding and training program. If you're earlier, <laughs> you, you've got more of a dynamic life uh, where you've got to be checking a bit more often, but that, that's how we approach it. Checklist first, level of understanding among the team using them. And then, like I said, we've got a simple grading system. So we work out what needs to be built, what needs to be rolled out, what needs to be reinforced, and that gives us a great place to start. So uniqueness has to be built into all of those, but first they have to exist. <laughs> it has to be there to be unique. So have you run into, I, I, I can, I've got a picture in my head of a specific individual where this happened, but have you ever run into sales or, or uh, sales execs or execs in a company that are very invested in their current state sales process, believe that it is bulletproof, and perhaps have a emotional reaction, shall we say, to the thought of changing it, uh, evolving it, making it better. Have you run into internal I don't, friction is probably the best word. I don't want to say, you know, saboteurs, but people that are invested and think that, hey, what we're doing right now works. I don't know why we need to do anything different, why we need to invest in this right now to change it. Have you run into individuals or situations like that? And how do you how do you address them? How do you help them kind of come over the fence to understand that this is really to make the organization better? Yes, I have. <laughs> yes, we have. Although typically when we get brought into a business, it's because they've brought in a sales leader and it hasn't worked out. Okay. Or, you know, somebody's departed and, and left them with a need for sales leadership until they can find them the right next person. Or they've got a flat line in sales. Or, you know, there's some reason why they want outside perspective. And uh, typically at the point where we are being asked to advise on these sorts of things, it's when that person is about ready to listen. Okay. And, you know, so yeah, we, we've definitely run into that before, although, you know, we're, we're coming in to help them to solve a growth ceiling that they've hit <laughs> or a growth problem that they've come upon and to get past that. And, and, absolutely the way of working with those people is sharing more information and sharing examples and sharing data and proving to them that that's the way of this is how it's going to work and you know you can quickly make some small changes that can bring those people onto your side of the of the table <laughs> a bit more if they are around but yeah, generally we're going in to help solve a problem or to, to fulfill a short to medium term need where, you know, they, they, they value the experience of sales leadership, but don't necessarily have the budget for somebody full time. Gotcha. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to come back to that. So on the, on the sales process, part of it, when you're younger, smaller company, you know, everything is in a constant state of, of change, constant state of flux. You get to a certain part, things start to level out a little bit. Do you have yep. a recommended best practice for frequency of revisiting a sales process for an organization dependent upon stage of growth? Is I mean, it's never going to stay you know, static, but is there, a, is there a kind of a regular cadence at which they should be double checking in that process to evolve it that you've seen over the years? 
Let me give you an example. Yeah, so we, we started working with a SaaS business at the front of 2020. And so, yeah, we've now been working with them 15 months or so. And they're a nine-year-old business when we went in to help them. And they've been at multi-million revenue, got down to a couple of hundred thousand, back up to a higher number and then back down again. And yeah, they needed to focus, right? So the first thing was, let's get everybody focused on one ideal group of customers document that. So we rebuilt the sales process so that everyone was using the same sales process. We documented it. Six to nine months later, they were absolutely, well, they, they started getting a lot better, but they were a very different business six to nine months later because they've been rocking it throughout the, those six months. They continued to develop and it was easy to bring in a couple of additional salespeople at that time. So that was great. So year one, 5x the revenue, got more people. Going into Q2 of this year, we're rewriting the sales manual and building out additional pieces for them because they've, they've gone into larger accounts. And so, you know, as, you, as your organization develops, you're definitely going to need to keep documenting the things that have changed so that you can bring other people into it. But, you know, it may be a six month check-in just to make sure that you've got everything documented. It may be a little less often if your organization's more mature and you're just running groups or pods of salespeople in an organization, you know? So I built a, a service business years ago, team of 47 people, and we built it from nothing. And, you know, once we got the sales process nailed, and trained people onto it, we didn't need to change it. We just needed to keep adding people to it. Right. And over three years, we grew 4,000%. So, you know, it depends on the organization. And if you are adding additional layers to your sales motion, that means going to an additional different type of customer, size of customer typically, or you've just changed the way that you deliver. One of our other clients is a very high technology business. They've got a software and hardware element to what they do. And the implementation side of the hardware has been simplified a lot over the last year. And so, you know, rewriting what their standard sales process looks like is now a requirement because six months <laughs> ago they were delivering it differently. So, yeah, you've just got to keep your ear to the ground on, hey, look, what's the easiest way to get value to this customer? And have we documented that so the next salesperson who comes into the team can actually read this or watch videos of it or both? And, and have that right. And, and does that mean that your sales process still operates in the same stages, you know, qualification through close and handover, or is there some more qualification or solutions work that needs to go in the middle now because you've evolved a bit? So there's not a specific set you watch time to do it, but, you know, I'd suggest a sort of sanity check at least every six months just to, just to go, hey, look, are we still doing the same thing? Are we still trying to? And obviously more frequently if you need it, less frequently if you're already at a, a stage of maturity where you've just got your ideal customer in front of you all the time and you are just adding salespeople and going for the move. Okay. And so and when you think about all the companies you've worked with and, and sales processes and organizations, uh, what's the biggest mistake that you are, see kind of consistently made when people are uh, thinking about or revising their sales processes, something maybe our audience should be aware of and hopefully be able to avoid. 
Yeah, so I, it's interesting. I was talking about this with a group of agency owners. Just, I think it was last week in a Slack group. And uh, these guys are all awesome. They've got big businesses that are blowing up and they're hiring salespeople and there's a lot of good stuff going on. And I said, you know, one of the most common things that happens at this stage is you get really excited. You're selling to your ideal customer really, really well. And the founding team suddenly gets this idea. Hey, let's go and sell to them or those people and those people as well. <laughs> and then hire some more salespeople to go after those new sectors. And, and I said, hang on, guys, red flag. Like that is a great way to set somebody up and not have a repeatable process for them to follow straight away, which means that they're less likely to succeed. You know, like if you can really nail down your core market and build a team that's big enough to be serving that whole core market or, or getting towards it, that's going to be your quickest route to revenue. And you may be getting board pressure, you may be getting investor pressure to, to go and diversify. But, you know, the, the software company I was just telling you about a minute ago has now won over their board. And the board says, actually, look, we now recognize that you are getting many more referrals and much more business in that ideal customer group that we were questioning than we ever thought was possible. And it was because there was a consistent sales process with data to show <laughs> that, you know, if you stay in it, you get to cross the chasm, that great book, Jeffrey Moore, Crossing yep. the Chasm. If people haven't read it, definitely worth a read. So getting back to that, getting excited and going into other markets before you're ready to go into other markets is a very common thing that we see. And they wonder why people come in and they don't succeed. <laughs> yeah, Not surprising. Like we think we got this one covered. So the next shiny object comes up. We've seen it all, see it all the time. And in companies as they grow. And so I'm curious, um, let's kind of switch here a little bit and talk about MindRacer. So uh, how did you get into the CRO as a service space? Like, give me, give me the story. What's it, what's it look like? And where did MindRacer come from? And how did we end up where we're at today? The quick story is I got very lucky as a salesperson and I worked for a lot of really awesome entrepreneurs and investors who kept over promoting me and I had to keep <laughs> making it work. I, you know, I was a very, very motivated salesperson. I was doing great deals. I became a sales leader. I had to work it out. And, you know, in those early stage organizations, you don't get training. You don't really, they don't have the opportunity to support you in that way. I'm one of the lucky ones who worked it out and built some awesome teams and developed a lot of confidence around very fast growing organizations. And then once I had become a CEO of somebody else's company, which was my early career goal, I, I then looked at that and I went, okay, great. I was living in Boston at the time. Didn't want to live in Boston forever, personally. I was like, I'd had a great time building my career there. And I thought, right, you know, I, I'm British originally. I've got a green card. I could work anywhere in the United States. Where do I want to go? So I went to New York City and, and I started giving away my time to startups and early stage companies to help them out. And then via a couple of W2s I got pulled into along the way, developed this repeatable process for helping early stage businesses nail down their sales process. And then, you know, during COVID, we had the most enormous demand because everybody needed to pivot sure. really quickly. And MindRace has just been exploding ever since. We're bringing in fractional VPs, we're bringing in marketers, we're bringing in sales operations people and all these sorts of stuff to, to projects, sales trainers, sales coaches. And um, we, we're trying to help a thousand people get up to the, a thousand businesses get to the next stage by the end of 2025. And so, you know, leveraging 
the experience that I had and the framework that we then created, we're able to bring that framework to lots of different businesses. And, and uh, it's because people need it, right? That we just listen to what people need. <laughs> they need the experience, but they don't have the budget for a $400,000 VP of sales yet. Right. And, and even if they do, it might be too early to have that kind of horsepower when they don't have a sales team to, for them to manage, right? And so, you know, we, we help them bridge that gap of getting the experience and the resources to get stuff done. So it's been really interesting. You know, helping entrepreneurs is great fun, as you know. <laughs> it's full of all sorts of interesting challenges. Yeah, you never know and what's around the corner. You never do. You know, you know it's going to be chaotic, but um, <laughs> it's exciting if you like that space, right? So that's really where MindRacer came from and, and, and the team that we're building. And it's, it's great fun to help people. And as you've been going through this, kind of what's the largest surprise or, or aha moment you've had uh, over there at MindRacer? I think the biggest surprise and aha moment is actually how commonly some of the mistakes businesses or business leaders who have not got experience for sales leadership actually make are right so the the most frequent thing that we see especially in the in the tech startup space is that hiring a rep from a tech giant to a very early stage <laughs> yep. tech company and expecting them to build a startup sales process for an example things like that are happening all the time and it's done with all the best of intentions hey this person succeeded at that massive company that we want to be like <laughs> let's bring them in and they can bring that magic to our company and that person also thinks that they're bulletproof because they've had a lot of success within a very well built out organization and then they come to a very early stage startup with none of the support resources around them and both founder and their hire don't succeed and they, they hadn't seen that they just not going to be able to close the gap things like that happen all the time and nobody wants to fail nobody wants to make a bad hire but the first time you get into building a business like that it's really hard to make all those decisions and when you're in a, in your career as a rep looking for a new challenge it sounds really exciting to get in with an early stage company and have a big impact <laughs> and it, it it just doesn't work very well most of the time it is um, two different worlds it's completely different worlds and pe people don't recognize how much they rely on the resources around them in large organizations until they've left. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a managing partner, that makes you a prospect for a lot of people out there who are trying to sell you. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always curious to know from our guests, when somebody doesn't have a referral in, like, you know, a trusted trusted resource, trusted introduction, what works for you when somebody's trying to capture your attention and earn the right to time on your calendar? <laughs> it's a, such a rare thing that people really make the effort. <laughs> That's um, true. <laughs> there's there's a lot of noise isn't there and you know so the way that we work not only do i get prospected as managing partner but we'll also get prospected as vp sales or cro within the clients that we're working in because sure. we work sort of white label as part of their team and so you know we see all sorts of prospects who are hitting up as us, us up as SaaS companies they're hitting us up as consulting companies they're hitting us up as agencies and we get the same 
LinkedIn message anyway. You know, oh, I see you're in this business and thought we should connect, followed by a pitch. And guess what? That's not very alluring when you're trying to be a busy person. So the the thing that works for me and the thing that I know among my peers in, in our team is that, you know, if we get somebody who's actually read the website and then written a message to me mentioning something that I might be interested in or giving me something valuable in a very short and concise message, that has the highest opportunity of capturing my interest. And and that's that's what I find works pretty well. I do love a good cold call, but <laughs> most people when are I horrible say I like it, them. I love a good one. <laughs> yeah, most people are horrible at them. And, you know, I really don't need a warranty for my vehicle. And so every time I answer my phone, I'm consistently thinking it's going to be one of those people. And, you know, so you've got to be really good these days to get some attention. But those that stand out, I still remember somebody who pitched me on a trade show about a year ago. And they'd really researched who our customers were and what our technology did. And why their trade show was going to be an excellent fit for one of our customers who had been speaking at other similar trade shows and would we be interested in doing like a PR sponsorship package with their trade show. And that's the best one I've had in years because that person had really done the research. They called me and they just talked to me about they saw our customer on stage at this thing and we they thought that this would be a good fit and would I be interested in learning and hey, here are some other people like you who are doing the same thing. That was the best cold call I've had in years. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, it's very rare for anybody to put in the time it takes to master really making effective calls. I mean, a lot of people will dial and and sit there and hope nobody picks up the other end of the phone. But when you you put in the time, you put in the practice, do the research, and you're prepared, it's amazing what you can pull off. So last question for you. We call it our acceleration insight. If there's just one thing of all of the wisdom that you have, there's only one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, uh, one piece of advice you give them that would help them achieve or exceed their targets, what would it be and why? It's about listening. Uh, Listening pays dividends way beyond many other things you know so as a a marketing professional trying to understand what's going on in sales as a sales professional trying to understand what marketing are doing at professional services people trying to provide services listening intently to what's really going on both inside the organization when people are trying to decide how to communicate and from the client about what they really say that they want and the problem that they've really got it's not as common as it should be for people to really listen like that and then leverage that information to understand that person some more because you know we're all we live in such a world of noise right and you know if somebody truly listens to what i've said and somebody really builds that into what they're doing in that stage of their sales process or communication it makes such a big difference but that happens internally as well so you're building an organization Listen carefully to what the other people are doing who are trying to reach that same customer, and it's just going to help you succeed. I love it. Great advice. Dan, if a listener's interested in talking more about these topics or learning more about MindRacer, where would you like us to send them? Your LinkedIn, website, someplace else? 
Yeah, so there's always good content going out on my LinkedIn, if I do say so myself. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> joking apart, uh, people can look me up. It, it is LinkedIn, LinkedIn's own domain. And then my, if you search for Dan Morris profile, it's all just one word there, Dan Morris profile, they'll find me. There's stuff going out on there every day. We've also got some resources on there that you guys can check out. And then also on the website is a breakdown of the review, refine, rollout, process that we use. So if you're a leader in a revenue organization and you want to learn more about that to use it yourself, go have a look at that there. You might find that useful as well as some other resources out there about like top five non-closed reasons to follow up and how to hire the best salespeople. Those sorts of things are all available to you for free. So enjoy those. And of course, if we can be of assistance, give us a shout. Excellent, Dan. I can't thank you enough for taking time. It's been amazing having you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, look forward to that conversation about cars with anyone who's interested. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.